0: It's the Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Two senators, one Republican and one Democrat, have proposed a bill to legalize recreational marijuana for adults in Pennsylvania. Ed Mahan is an investigative reporter with Spotlight PA and has been covering marijuana use in Pennsylvania. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Great to be here. All right. We've talked many times with you about the state's medical marijuana program, how it sprouted a cottage core of companies to promise to connect users to doctors. So why are lawmakers now turning to legalize recreational use?
1: I think you really just need to look around at what's happening in other states, in our neighboring states. You've got New York, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland have all legalized cannabis for all adults, 21 and over. A lot of Pennsylvanians live near those states, so there is real concern about losing out on significant revenue. And there's a recognition that the current prohibition doesn't stop people from crossing borders to consume marijuana. And while it's not legal to buy marijuana in another state and bring it to Pennsylvania, that's incredibly difficult to enforce Mm -hmm. across the board.
0: I mentioned that uh, this has been proposed in the past. Is this bill different from uh, previous efforts or not?
1: Uh, we saw the, the two senators, Senator Laughlin, a Republican, Senator Street, introduced a similar bill last session. So, big picture, this is similar to to what they've done before. I mean, that was a big deal when that happened. Um, this bill would allow people to possess a small amount of marijuana. It would take it would tax cannabis with the hopes of bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue to the state. You know, like it would offer some protections to users. Specifically, this bill offers protections in terms of owning guns and child custody cases, but it would leave some gray areas, such as driving under the influence issues and workplace protections. I'll also just note the tax rate they're proposing is a, is less than what. Governor Josh Shapiro has proposed as well.
0: You spoke to Chris Goldstein, regional organizer for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Let's listen to what he told you. And there are a lot of questions
2: to answer about the business side of cannabis and the tax and the regulate side. What is clear is that legalization stops arrests. And that saves every town in a state and the state itself a heck of a lot of money every year. That's sort of the hidden benefit of legalization that we don't talk about enough.
0: So is that also the argument the co-sponsors, senators uh, Daniel Laughlin, Republican and Democrat Sharif Street, are making? Ed,
1: it's it's a similar art, uh, argument. I'll make. I'll point out one sort of distinction. Chris is Chris is sort of making the case for why we should either decriminalize or legalize possessing a small amount of marijuana right away before we try to set up a whole framework for how it will be sold, because there's lots of debate and argument about the right tax rate and sort of the, the whole business side process. And you know, if you look at what's happening in Delaware right now, the state legalized cannabis earlier this year, but sales haven't begun there. So that's a sort of, a, you know, a model of one way to do it. Um but Senator Laughlin and Senator Street are, are sort of proposing a, a you know a total package to, to overhaul the system. And it definitely has a criminal justice rights component that we can talk about.
0: Well, The ACLU reports that marijuana use is roughly equal among black people and white people, but black people are nearly four times as likely to be arrested for possession. How might this law, this legislation, I should say, try to address the racial disparities of the criminalization of possession?
1: So the the backers of the bill they say the legislation would grant licenses to social and economic equality applicants while while providing room for new and existing licenses to sh- to ensure demand is met in Pennsylvania. So basically, trying to make the current licensing system uh, more fair and appropriate. And then it would also expunge nonviolent marijuana convictions for medical marijuana patients, and it and they say they go further to expunge all nonviolent marijuana convictions.
0: So separately, there's another proposal being considered that would address physicians advertising their ability to prescribe medical marijuana. Currently, uh, as we've talked in the past, as you've reported on many times, doctors cannot advertise that they can provide this service, but large third-party companies can. You've investigated the issue for a piece published this year, or excuse me, last year. What do physicians say about this ban?
1: Yeah, and so correct that advertising ban change is being proposed in a in a in a different version of a, a different bill by Senator James Brewster of Allegheny County and Mike Regan of York county. And physicians and many other people I've spoken to say the ban essentially makes no sense. That these third-party companies can buy radio ads, newspaper ads, dominate internet, search traffic, put up signs on the road, and operate with no real oversight while doctors are silenced. And so they're saying the system makes no sense as it is.
0: And they're the middle person. They get a cut of the money, basically.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, that's that's the whole business model.
0: All right. What else would this legislation do as far as expanding the medical marijuana current law?
1: One big thing is it would allow doctors to approve patients for any medical condition, not just the 24 specific conditions that currently qualify patients. So in essence, it could greatly expand who can participate in the medical marijuana program. And some people I've talked to say that this expansion that's being proposed for the medical program is essentially uh, medical in name only, and and would expand it to the point that it's basically legal across the board.
0: Uh, Is this sort of another route to legalization?
1: I mean, that's what some people see as sort of this type of expansion is just you know medical in name only. I mean, the the backers of the bill deny that, and there would still have you'd still need a doctor's approval, but it does potentially greatly expand the program.
0: Uh, so could these sort of get in the way of each other, these two separate proposals, one more likely to get a vote than the, the other?
1: You know, I think the it's poss- possible it could get in the way, possible they could help each other, that, that by having both of these separate bills, they could, you know, ha- bring greater attention to this issue. And I know the you know, one of the main backers of the medical marijuana update is Senator Mike Regan. He's come out publicly in support of legalizing adult use. But, you know, he's saying he's pushing this medical marijuana program as as something that could happen even if adult use legalization does not happen. And
0: very briefly, Ed, uh, the recreational legalization. Might that even come up for a vote, though, if it's if the committee chair or the leader of the Senate doesn't want it?
1: So, yeah, I mean, Senate leadership has not been enthusiastic about legalizing adult use marijuana. So that's definitely a possibility that this could, you know, even if it gets out of committee, could could die a quiet death.
0: Ed Mahan is an investigative reporter with Spotlight PA. Ed, thanks as always.
1: Thanks so much. Appreciate it.
0: It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Steelers training camp gets underway this week in Latrobe. Trobe. We're going to get a preview of what to focus on with individual players as well as the team as a whole. With Mike DeFabo, staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Steelers and the NFL. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Kevin,
3: thank you for having me. All
0: right. Players arrived Wednesday bringing with them creature comforts to make their stay in the dorm rooms at St. Vincent College uh, maybe a little more tolerable. Uh, before we start actually talking about the football, what's the wildest thing you saw or heard of a player bringing to La Trobe?
3: Well, you know, these are some big guys and they're always lugging in their mattresses. But I think my favorites are. You know, there was the the fire truck one year that James Harrison rode in. There was the tractor that Brett Keisel came in. But I don't think anyone has ever upstaged Antonio Brown, who arrived in the helicopter famously. I'm not sure we're going to have anybody arriving by by air this year, but there's definitely some good memories from years ago.
0: Uh, memories. Uh, how much time do you plan on spending at training camp? Do you usually spend there?
3: Yeah, so I'll be there for the entire three weeks. And I was, as a kid, I grew up in Latrobe. And it's kind of funny because I remember standing along the ropes saying, Jerome Bettis, Jerome Bettis, could I have an autograph? Now, as a reporter, I'm standing in literally the same spots. And instead of asking for an autograph, instead, you're conducting an interview. So things really have gone full circle. And for me, I think I can really speak to the setting, being there on the hillside watching football practice. To me, that's just as much of the experience as going and, and, you know, preparing for a football season, you know, as the players would.
0: Mike, what's your number one point of focus or your number one storyline during training camp, do you think?
3: Well, I think everybody's talking about Kenny Pickett. It's a quarterback-driven league, and right now the Steelers have a young quarterback who still has uh, some development to go to prove that he can be that franchise quarterback of the future for the Steelers. So, you know, everyone expects him to take a step forward in year two. He has more familiarity with the league. He has more familiarity with his teammates and with the offense that Matt Canada wants to run. Now it's a matter of how much is he going to improve. Everyone knows he'll be better, but how much better is he going to be in year two?
0: And especially with a training camp as the number one quarterback, which he didn't get last year and might have led to some uh, rough spots in his development last year?
3: Absolutely. When the Steelers threw him in in the middle of week four, he didn't have the benefit of any first team reps with the starting receiving core. So during training camp, this is really one of his next opportunities to build camaraderie and that connection and the cohesiveness that you need where he knows when he drops back, his receiver is going to be exactly where they are and he's going to be able to meet them with the ball. So those are all the kind of things that they can build and develop throughout
0: training camp in La Should Kenny Pickett be looking over his shoulder because the other two quarterbacks, uh, familiar names are on the roster as well. Mitch Trubisky, who started last season, and uh, of course uh, the other uh, third-string quarterback.
3: Yeah, Mason Rudolph as well. It was it was certainly surprising to see both of those guys back, especially Mason Rudolph. But, you know, the, the quotes from Mitch Trubisky have been that he's here to support Kenny Pickett. And one of the reasons that Mitch came back was because they developed such a good relationship and such a good friendship. So, you know, there's really, last year, there were a lot of questions. And Kenny Pickett started as a third quarterback and had to work his way up the depth chart. Really, he's the starter in barring injury, you know, he's going to be the guy. So now it's not so much, is he going to win the job? But the question is more so, what can he do now that the Steelers have given him the keys to the offense? And it's his, you know, it's his show and he's going to be the man.
0: Uh, Several newcomers to the team. Uh, Let's start with the, the rookies, especially the first two draft picks tackle Broderick Jones and Joey Porter Jr. What do they have to do to win starting jobs?
3: Well, Broderick Jones being an offensive lineman, um, you know, he has the the pedigree as the first round pick, and he has elite athleticism, you know, very fast, agile guy for as big as he is. But one thing about him is he only started in 19 college games, and so he's still relatively inexperienced. He came out of college after just three seasons, including just one as a full-time starter. So he needs to learn all of the play calls and learn the playbook before he's ready to get out there. And so it's a, inevitably he's going to be a starter, but it's a matter of is it from day one, game one, or does it take it till the middle point of the season? And kind of similarly for Joey Porter Jr., he's a big name. His dad obviously played here. He's going to have tons of fan support. Um, but, you know, the cornerback is one of the most challenging positions in the NFL because when he makes a mistake, there's a good chance that the other team could be celebrating a touchdown. So for him, it's a matter of cleaning up his mechanics. He was a little bit grabby in coverage. Uh, Some of his footwork wasn't exactly at the NFL level. So just continuing to hone his craft and, and, and challenge Levi Wallace for that starting position will be what Joey Porter's trying to do during training camp.
0: A couple of real fast ones uh, for you, Mike. uh, Many people would say Steelers' weak spot on defense has been inside linebacker. What is the team expecting from a couple of uh, free agent signings, Cole Holcomb and Alandon Roberts?
3: Well, it's been interesting. They completely overhauled that position group. There were three starters last year, like a three-man rotation. All three of those guys are gone. In comes Cole Holcomb and Alandon Roberts. Cole Holcomb is a more versatile guy who probably is going to play 99% of the snaps when he's healthy. Um, he's a guy that's good in coverage, kind of that do-everything linebacker the Steelers are looking for. And then Alandon Roberts is a bit of a shift in philosophy. He's more of that old-school, traditional, coming downhill to stop the run type of linebacker, hit you hard, uh, you know, be there and run support. Um, so the question, though, is, is, is he okay to hold up in, in, in situations that are passing downs? And he might be the kind of guy you have to take off the field, put another kind of player. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how those two guys work together. and If the Steelers, they're going to be different at inside linebacker, are they going to be better is going to be the question.
0: All right, Mike. So talk about some of the newcomers also on offense, say Amalu on the offensive line and others. But who is the team going to miss the most? So somebody who was there last year or maybe a few seasons and is gone. Yeah,
3: Cam Sutton was the big free agent loss that he signed with the Detroit Lions this offseason. And, you know, not only was he a starter on the outside of corner, but also he had a lot of positional versatility and flexibility to move into the slot. So you're, you're, mo- you're losing not only him in one spot, but also his versatility and the ways he can factor in. So Patrick Peterson is going to step into that role. We'll see if he can do it.
0: Mike DeFabo, staff writer with The Athletic, covering the Steelers. Mike, thanks, and stay cool at training camp. I'll do my best, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. The Commonwealth is receiving nearly $1.2 billion in federal funding for high-speed internet. Still to decide is how exactly to use it. Joining us is Brandon Carson, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Broadband Development Authority. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Earlier this month, Governor Shapiro said more than 276,000 locations, households, businesses, etc., don't have access to broadband at all. Where are these concentrated or are they spread across the Commonwealth?
2: They're very much uh, spread across the Commonwealth, but we see a lot of concentrations of unserved and underserved areas in our more rural communities. That's not to say this is truly just a rural issue, um, because our our um, partners in, in our urban areas have, have some c- connectivity issues as well.
0: So will this money be focused on the rural areas, or will there also be some money for better access, better connectivity? You alluded to urban area connectivity.
2: Funds will be used in both uh, rural and urban areas alike. Um, our dollars are going to be invested into projects, in deployments where folks lack that reliable high-speed access.
0: Well, we are in Pittsburgh, a fairly connected city, but surrounded by some more rural counties, such as Green and Fayette. Uh, can you give us an idea what the connectivity rates are in southwestern Pennsylvania? Yeah, in southwestern
2: Pennsylvania, Uh, Based on the data that's available through the Federal Communications Commission or the FCC, there are over 30,000 unserved locations in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, In addition to that, there are over 7,500 underserved locations. Mm -hmm.
0: The Broadband Development Authority, uh, it's not that old of an institution, uh, part of the Department of Community Economic Development. So what is your mission? What is your goal overall? Yeah, our goal is
2: to expand access to to folks that that lack it. That is at the core of our work. Uh, we are focused on um, access, affordability, and then we're also promoting digital literacy as a whole. You know, folks can have access to reliable high speed connection if they can afford that reliable high speed connection. They may not understand the benefits of what that, that uh, high-speed internet service could do for them. So that's that's the literacy piece, the education piece that we're also going to be promoting and ensuring that folks have adequate devices uh, because it truly is a, a multi-tiered approach to increasing broadband adoption rates. It's not only about lack of access. We understand that's a barrier for sure, uh, but there are certainly other barriers that are um, hindering that broadband adoption rate across the Commonwealth.
0: You mentioned the FCC and the data of people who have no connectivity or underserved areas. Uh, but how will the money be dispersed?
2: So the funds will flow from our partners at the federal level down to the broadband authority. Uh, we are then developing a series of programs, um, likely competitive grant programs, where we will administer uh, those funds down to sub-grantees like internet service providers, uh, local governments, nonprofits that are interested in expanding internet service in their areas. And oftentimes we're gonna see public-private partnerships, you know, combinations of those internet service providers, those local governments or nonprofits. And we're promoting those partnerships as folks are developing their plans and in, in how they wanna tackle Ah uh, the connectivity issues that 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 they face in their communities. So these funds will be doled out in a competitive nature. We want to make wise investments in uh, in this space, and we think that strong public-private partnerships will lead to to good investments, good projects.
0: All right, a lot of money, wise investments, you say, lots of potential partners. So what is a timeline that's really feasible for expanding access?
2: yes so right now we are developing a federally required five-year action plan we're going to be delivering that to our federal partners uh, next month it's due august 12th uh, to the folks at the national telecommunications and information administration once that plan has been submitted our federal partners will review that we'll be looking for their stamp of approval and then we anticipate being in a position to start standing up programs, making investments, and getting folks connected early next year, early in 2024.
0: All right. One issue that comes up is sometimes uh, for rural areas, access is so uh, expensive uh, because limited providers. How will you ensure that broadband providers are not maybe taking advantage of customers and they offer fair or competitive prices? I mean, access is one thing. Affordability is another issue.
2: One of the evaluation criteria uh, that we are incorporating into um, our programs is affordability. We will ask applicants, uh, those internet service providers, local governments, nonprofits that are applying for these funds, we will ask them to detail what they plan to charge for these services and, and what speeds they will provide. There are federal requirements for speeds that must be offered through these projects, and we're also going to look at the affordability component of this when we're evaluating projects prior to, to making any decisions on funding awards. Mm-hmm.
0: Whether it's your authority or some sort of other oversight body, will there be any eyes kept on it to, shall we say, regulate costs and or quality, that speed of the uh, Internet?
2: Yeah, The authority is not a, a regulatory entity, uh, but we will be, uh, reviewing our sub-grantees' uh, work even beyond the deployment of, of these networks. Ne- we need to ensure that we're not only making wise, you know, efficient, effective investments on the front end, that the services are in fact uh, affordable and of the, you know, the speeds that are required per our federal partners.
0: To clarify, when should somebody in any of the 67 counties who's not connected now hope to be connected. Next
2: year um, is, is our target date for those connections, at least the beginning of those connections. We know we have a lot of work ahead of us and our partners, those those ISPs, local governments, nonprofits that we invest in uh, will then move to deploy services starting, starting next year.
0: Brandon Carson is the Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Broadband Development Authority. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having
2: me. I appreciate it.
0: And for today, that is the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. Next time, one-third of disability providers who operate residential facilities provide home care, and daycare programs have closed in the last three years. Thanks to our team, Addison Deal, Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.